Most shows are only one small step for man. The overwhelmed brain is one giant leap for mankind. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. This is Paul Coliani, host of The Overwhelmed Brain. I'm a personal growth show host guy. <laughs> I'm also a personal empowerment coach. And this is the personal growth show for the critical thinker. On every episode, we'll talk about practical, down-to-earth steps to help you improve your mood and keep you sane in this powerful journey we call life. I want to help you bridge the gap between your emotions and reason, causing you to discover why you do the things you do and what you can do to reach higher levels of happiness and lower levels of stress and overwhelm. And right now I want to read a letter to you from someone who called herself Catherine. Catherine wrote, I wanted to let you know that you are amazing. I am probably one of your youngest listeners, but I am still benefiting from your show. I have tested several of your tips on myself and siblings. You truly are a miracle worker in my life. I have gone from pessimistic to optimistic in the first week of listening to your show. Thank you. And in parentheses, she wrote, you can mention my name if you want, but I don't expect you to air this email. <laughs> well, Catherine, I mentioned your name and I aired your email. <laughs> thank you so much for writing that. And thank you for your kind words about me and the show. But really, you did all the work. <laughs> I just gave you some tools to help you out. Uh, you actually have to take those steps and do the work. So thank you, Catherine. Thank you for doing the work. And everyone who listens to this show has to do the work. This is kind of a concept that I heard way back when, when I was really into video games, when I was playing the old 80s arcade games. And uh, one of the concepts that came up was there was a person who broke the Donkey Kong world record. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know what Donkey Kong is, well, look that up. It's one of the most popular 80s arcade games that there was. Well, anyway, there's an organization that keeps all those world records. But in order to qualify for the world record, you might have to send in a videotape. If you're not watched live, you send in a videotape of yourself playing. And um, the people who review the videotapes also can qualify for world records. So this guy, I think it was might have been Billy Mitchell. Uh, he sent in his Donkey Kong uh, game who had it reviewed by another person who I don't know his name and that other person got to watch all his tricks and techniques on how he played the game so what this person did was play the game himself and use all these tricks and techniques however he only got half the score that this other guy Billy Mitchell did so I think on a message board I read that People thought that was unfair, that he got to watch the record-breaking video game player and nobody else did. They thought it was an unfair advantage that he was able to 
pretty much watch the entire game that probably took hours and then take all those tricks and do it himself. So he responded uh, with something that I'll never forget, which is why I'm talking about it years later. (laughs) He said that, yes, I did watch. It's my job, but I still have to do it. I still have to take the steps. I still have to stand in front of the video game machine and actually do the tricks and be in time with the jumping over the barrels and climbing up the ladders. And I also have to deal with the randomness of how the barrels come down the girders. And if you've never heard of Donkey Kong, you're probably like, I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) So the guy who was going for his own world record said, I still have to do it. Yes, I know the techniques and I know the tricks and the tips, but, and he didn't say this part, but what I thought was, yeah, I guess that's like watching someone uh, run a four-minute mile. Like, you can watch a videotape of someone running a four-minute mile and watch them over and over again, how they place their feet, uh, how they swing their arms, how they breathe even. You can watch it over and over again in slow motion, but you still have to do the work. You still have to take the steps to make it happen. You know, even though that's the video game world, it was still a very powerful personal growth lesson. I took that as, yeah, I can sit here and study and listen to all this personal development stuff and get smarter and smarter textbook-wise. But when it comes to what I like to call street knowledge, when it comes to actual application of going out and performing or taking action and making things happen, you actually have to do what you study. It's, it's sort of like um, studying hypnosis, but never hypnotizing anyone. <laughs> you know all the facts, and you can quote people left and right, but you never really practice on anyone. So you know hypnosis, but you don't really know it. The most important reason you have to do the work is the feedback mechanism. You have to do something and get feedback from your environment or the person you're doing it with. Like one of the examples in hypnosis when I was training as a hypnotist, we would work with other students and practice hypnotizing each other and in different ways. There's different, different ways to do it, um, deepening techniques and you know, you know, relax and close your eyes and things like that. And as you did it, you watch for the responses of the client. I mean, we called them the client. When we work with a partner, one is the hypnotist and one is the client. So you'd watch the client. And what's the client doing? Well, you watch their rate of breathing. And then you say, just relax as they're breathing out. I mean, that's one technique out of many that are taught. And and you keep doing it. You keep pacing or timing your words with their behavior. And you utilize their behavior in the induction. And it's a really neat process. I I recommend you read about it because it teaches you a lot about communication in general and how to build rapport with people in deeper ways than just having similar hobbies and things like that. But they're very powerful techniques to learn. You learn a lot about communicating with the subconscious mind. It's very cool stuff. But there are also audio tapes or CDs that you can buy that are uh, hypnosis. And 
the funny thing about that is that you can listen to a hypnosis CD and he or she can say, okay, close your eyes. You got it? Your eyes closed? And then he or she will talk as if your eyes are closed. But if your eyes never close, <laughs> then they're just wasting their time. I mean, or they're probably not wasting their time, but they don't know. I mean, the, the recording isn't going to stop and say, still waiting for your eyes to close. <laughs> but that's what's great about working with someone and getting feedback. Because then you understand if what you're doing works. And so with the video game reference, he could watch that all day, every day. But the game isn't going to respond exactly as it did in the videotape. And he has to show that he has stamina and can hold his pee <laughs> for four or five hours or however long it takes by standing there in front of a video game and actually doing the work. And this is important in everything we do. You can study, you can listen to things, you can read online for hours and hours and hours every day. But how do you apply it? Did you apply the things that I teach on this show? And many of you do. I get a lot of letters saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apply this, definitely. And it's great because that's my hope is that you do apply it and things actually change in your life. Because not much changes just by learning something new. Learning is the first step. It builds intention. It builds belief that you can do it. And that belief can lead to motivation to take action. The taking action part is what a lot of people can have trouble with. Because taking action means you're going to get results. And there are going to be consequences. Good or bad, there are going to be consequences. It's always good, though, because it's feedback. Consequences means feedback. And consequences also mean progress. So when you are full of information and you know you know what to do, what's it going to take for you to do it? Well, typically what it takes is that your desire has to overcome your current results in life. You have to get to a point where you desire something so much that you will do it no matter what. And, you know, sometimes that can take uh, being proverbially beat down over and over and over again until you finally go, I can't stand it. I've had enough. I'm, I'm going to now change my life. I'm going to take the, take the action I need to take. And that could mean a number of things. It, that could mean being yelled at for the last time at work. That could mean not tolerating lies anymore in your relationship. Not tolerating behavior anymore in relationship or family. It could be in a number of things. What it is is that you get to a point, that breaking point or that snapping point where you go, that's it. I've had enough. But why wait? And I've taught this before, but why wait for that snapping point? Just make it happen now. Because either way, it's going to happen. And the faster it happens, the faster change can come. The faster positive change can come. And the faster you'll find out if what you're learning actually works. I remember I had a hypnosis client back in 2009. In, uh, I was running a practice in Texas. And um, uh, this woman came in and she had lost a child. And she was listening to all kinds of personal growth stuff. Listening and watching and reading. All this stuff. I mean, she had 
She had purchased so many things that she had so many of them still wrapped, still in the package new, because she, she was just trying to find those golden nuggets of information that would help her through her challenge, her struggle. And that's a struggle. Losing a child is, is one of the worst, if not the worst pain, emotional pain that you can go through. So that was definitely a struggle. So she came to see me and, you know, we talked and she felt like it was a very good session and, and that I really helped her out. But she told me all this stuff that she bought and she hasn't even dug into half of it. But she listens to it all the time and she watches it all the time. But was she applying any of it? I mean, if it told her even something generic like go outside and breathe for 15 minutes and uh, just meditate or just sit in the lotus position or talk to a tree or, or something. I wonder now if she really did apply any of the things that she was learning. Now, I didn't ask her at the time. I, I forget most of our conversation, but I do remember that she was in a lot of pain. And how, how do you get out of pain? You don't get out of pain by learning more. You get out of pain by doing more. And sometimes it's true. You don't know what to do. So you have to learn more. Or you listen to a show like this, or you read a book or watch a video, and you try to find the method that works for you. And, you know, I think back now and I go, wow, I wonder if she even let herself grieve. I've had clients that um, people have died in their life, and they didn't even let themselves grieve. They just wanted the pain to stop. You know, grieving is an acceptance process. You accept that they're gone and they're never coming back. And that is hard. That's one of the hardest things to do, is to accept that someone's gone. But that's how the healing starts. And acceptance is a great path to healing. So that's an action step. Someone can tell you to accept. But to really take that advice and do it and just go, okay, and say it out loud, I accept that that person's gone. I accept that they are never coming back. And then the tears may flow. You know, you're going to say things that are really hard to say. You're going to come to an admission in yourself and create words are going to come out of your mouth that you'd never believe would come out of your mouth. It's going to be an uh, outward expression of inner turmoil, but they need to be said. They need to be expressed. Action needs to be taken. You must do the work and you must express things that you may not want to express because when you do, that's when real change starts and you can choose to hold on to some of this emotional baggage that you've been carrying around or like I say on my website, you can leave it at the curb. And how do you do that? You physically do it. Whether that's a simple breathing technique or a meditation technique. Uh, and some of this stuff may not work for you, of course. I mean, if you've tried a lot of this stuff and it doesn't work, then you keep trying things. Because that's what sometimes it takes. But there has to be, like one of the first steps, the action step of acceptance. And saying it out loud. And maybe even saying it to someone else and letting those deep, deep rooted tears or pain allow that to come to the surface 
that stuff that you don't want to feel. Because what's in there is what's preventing you from moving on. I mean, if you're in that space, that's typically what prevents you from getting anywhere, is that you're not letting that pain out. And it, it could have been a pain from so long ago that you've learned to bury many times over that you don't even know how to get to that anymore. And you've learned other ways to, to bury it or keep it repressed. And, you know, that's why I'm here. <laughs> that's why I talk about this stuff. That's why I'm making you face things that maybe you didn't want to face. And I've had to do it. I've had to come to terms with a lot of my past. I mean, I try to expose all of my past because I want it out of me. I mean, the first time you feel the floodgates of your past emotional pain open up and release, you just want more. You go, wow, is that what it takes? Wow. And then you also go, wow, that was hard. <laughs> wow, that hurt. That was painful. I don't know if I want that again. But you feel such a relief. You feel such a weight lifted. So anyway, I went from video game analogies <laughs> to emotional pain, but it doesn't matter where the advice derived. It just matters that it applies. And I love advice that applies. Like, I learned some really good information in a computer book once. <laughs> it was how a computer works. And that really helped me understand people. It's really strange. You never know where advice or the perfect golden nugget is going to come from. So always keep an open mind with that. There's always something that's going to resonate with you that's going to help you get to a better place in your life. So again, I want to thank Catherine for writing that letter and kind of being the impetus that started this segment. Thank you so much, Catherine. And, and I'm so glad that you joined me today. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Ask Paul. Okay, this is the Ask Paul segment. This is where I read a listener email on the air and I do my best to help them through a number of challenges that they write about. <laughs> Let's get to our letter here, which is this one. I'll call her... Um, Let's make sure I don't call her by her real name by looking up her real name. Oh, well, the good news is I can't pronounce her real name, so <laughs> this is good. I'm going to call her Nikki. Here's Nikki's letter. Hi, Paul. I just discovered your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. The first episode I listened to was called You Cannot Control Every Thought, and I really needed to hear the message you shared. I'm a new mom and I have been temporarily relocated for work reasons a few months ago. Now that this assignment is up, my husband and I are going to be moving back to our former city, much closer to his parents than where we are now. His parents are some of the most toxic people I have ever met. They fight incessantly, yelling cruel, vulgar tirades at each other at the slightest provocation. When it happens... Everyone in the room just seems to feel trapped and horror-struck. Friends and extended family of my husband and his siblings say that they can't stand to be around these people, and several have used the word toxic to describe them as well. The family dynamic is so negative that it puts me in a bad mood just thinking about it. If it were just me, I'd swallow the pill and put up with the negativity for the holidays and the weekends my husband requests that we spend there. 
but now I have a baby to take care of, so I worry that he'll be traumatized or otherwise negatively impacted by this family. I don't want him to feel that paralyzed horror and actual fear that I feel when witnessing these terrible fights. And the overall family culture, heavy drinking, smoking lots of pot, cursing and being interested in very materialistic things, is not something I want influencing my child. My husband somehow came out differently than his family. He's sensitive, emotionally intelligent, kind, and even-tempered, but he is defensive of them and resists my suggestions that we put stricter limits on how much time we spend with them. He says that exposure to this stuff won't be so bad for our son and could even make him more resilient. Sometimes, after witnessing a fight, my husband will start to express my side and he'll say that he doesn't want our son seeing this. But mostly, he says, we'll just deal with it as it comes up. So I've been going around in mental circles for months, hoping that when the time inevitably comes that they start to fight this way, I will have the strength to get up and take my son away from the scene. This is why that episode spoke to me. You encouraged me that I will need to be able to do what needs to be done instead of being paralyzed in my spot as I have been in the past. I'm still not totally convinced, but I'm trying to believe in myself. I would really appreciate any other advice that you may have. I enjoy your approach and would really value your take on this. Thanks. All right, thank you so much, Nikki, for that letter. So there's something very important here that really stands out, and that is that your husband and you don't necessarily have the same viewpoint on what your son is exposed to. And when you don't have the same viewpoint on something, there are sometimes compromises that have to be made. Sometimes you have to change uh, your way of thinking so that you're not so resistant to one another, or at least your opinion on or perspective on how things should go. And sometimes you have to take a stand and, and do things with conviction. I mean, there's all kinds of options here. And uh, what you're most worried about is how will our son turn out if he is exposed to all this negativity, all this toxicity? Well, let me tell you a little story. When I was about, I'm trying to remember the earliest age, I think I was 14, um, my dad smoked a lot of pot. <laughs> my dad smoked in front of me, around me. He invited his friends over. And uh, they just smoked pot all the time. Well, I shouldn't say all the time, but a lot. And uh, I was quite exposed to it, left and right. I, I just, I couldn't get away from it. It was there. But I didn't smoke it. Now, I grew up in a family that several of the members took drugs. And I remember the parties when I was younger where there were drugs and alcohol all around me all the time during the parties. So I would be exposed to this. I would be walking around as a kid in the party while people were doing uh, a lot harder things than uh, marijuana. <laughs> they were doing some pretty heavy stuff. And I, I developed a huge aversion to the drugs because I didn't like the way they behaved when they were on drugs. I developed a huge aversion to alcohol because I didn't like the way my stepfather behaved when he was on alcohol. And, uh, because I didn't like um, my stepfather's behavior with alcohol, I also attributed that to smoking and everything else that he did. So I just had all these 
kind of healthy aversions develop being around those things and seeing how people behaved. Now, here's where I'm going with this. I was very young when I was exposed to this stuff. I don't know. I might have been an infant when I saw some of this stuff too. I don't know. But growing up, I remember pretty early on, especially with my stepfather's alcohol problem, is that I remember being exposed to some toxic stuff as as young as I can remember. And on top of that, some abuse as well. So hopefully there's no abuse in your case, but it is possible that your son will be okay no matter what. It is possible because even children know toxicity. Even children can tell you what's right and wrong, especially when they have a good mom or a good dad that's showing them values, uh, showing them love and support, showing them how good, uh, healthy people can be. So that even when they're exposed to unhealthy or toxic people, their primary role models are healthy people. Now, your husband has a slightly valid point that your son will become more resilient. That could be true, but like I said, it's only slightly valid because it could go in the opposite direction too. He could become resilient from all this fighting, from all the drugs or whatever else he's exposed to. He could also go in the opposite direction like I did. I became totally against drugs and alcohol. I became a total square, (laughs) which, you know, a lot of people see that as a healthy choice. So I didn't expose my mind and body to a lot of the, the chemical substances growing up, except sugar. <laughs> and sugar is pretty bad in itself. But you get the idea is that I didn't fall into the same patterns as my family and their friends that brought over all the alcohol and drugs. So where your child ends up isn't always heavily influenced by what's happening in your family, especially and as long as they have a positive role model directly. In in other words, you and your husband. If you and your husband are pretty stable, normal, whatever that means to you, then your children pick that up. Your children learn directly. They trust you more than typically, more than anyone else. And they pick things up from you more than anything else, typically. Again, it can go in any direction. But let me tell you why this is important. Yes, your child will be exposed to some pretty toxic stuff. Fighting and drugs and just all this negativity in your husband's family. And because of that, here's what you need to do. You need to be strong for your child. Now, I know you already know that. But let me tell you in what way you need to be strong. When the toxicity starts, and you know when it starts, you need to be there for your child as if you are the ultra-resilient one. Because guess where your child's going to learn how to respond to the world? Guess who they are going to learn from? If you freak out, your child will learn, oh, that's how I respond to toxic situations. If you get paralyzed... Your child will say, oh, I need to get paralyzed when people are around me. If you yell and scream, oh, I need to yell and scream. Be the ultimate role model, even if it's near impossible. 
because I know toxic situations are very hard to deal with and it's hard to be anything other than how you've been so far and how you've been reacting. But it's so vital when you have a child that is highly influenced by especially their direct role model, you and your husband, that the way you behave around toxic people is what they'll learn to do. Now saying that, you know that children are wild cards. You could teach them everything the right way in the best way and they'll still uh, meet someone that takes them down a wrong path and then suddenly their life is changed. But all you can really do for anyone, children or friends or family, is be a good role model anyway. I mean, be the best you that you can be. And yes, sometimes you'll be triggered and sometimes you'll be afraid. But when you know there are people that are highly influenceable watching you, like children, for example, you want to do your best to show them what the best response should be. Now, what is the best response? That is definitely something that you need to decide because if you're in a highly toxic situation, if there is secondhand marijuana smoke floating around the room, um, if there's a lot of yelling and screaming of expletives and bad, nasty words, and you don't want your child exposed to it, then you have to become that child's boundaries, if that makes sense. You have to become the protector because the child's not going to be able to protect himself. And quite frankly, you don't really want a tiny child developing these super-duper boundaries so young because they're still in the phase of experiencing the world and learning what the world's about and what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. Yes, you want them to develop boundaries, but you don't want them to develop boundaries on their own. You want to help them develop boundaries. You want to help them understand what's good for them and what's bad for them. So one thing you can do is when you are in the midst of a fighting family, for example, or any type of toxicity, is that you can look at your child and go, this is not normal. These people are fighting and you don't have to fight. Some people are like this. I promise I will always do my best to take care of you. I promise I'll do my best to protect you if you're scared. But some people are like this and sometimes we can't get away from them. You can talk to the child almost as if they were an adult. You can say, if you're scared, I know. But I'm here to protect you. It's all right. And as long as they know you're there, no matter what, then they're going to have reassurance that everything's going to be okay. But if you freeze, if you get scared, then they're going to sense that. It's kind of like having a dog. The dog senses when you're scared. The dog knows when you're running after someone that they're going to run after that same person. They just know what's going on with you and they get their cues from you. So the dog responds as you respond. And so do we as people. And children learn so fast that they can see you do something once and they learn how to do it forever. Unless they go through some healing and growth. If, it, if what they're doing is a bad response or not helpful to them, they need to go through some healing and growth to fix that response later on in life. I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's kind of like when I was uh, younger and my stepfather drank and I developed survival mechanisms so I wouldn't uh, invoke his drunk dad behavior. I learned to do things that were not very healthy when I grew up. 
So I had to heal and resolve those things in my life so that I wouldn't continue ruining my relationships. But this is because my primary role model as a, a child was my mom who was scared. And she would tell us that we needed to be scared of him in so many words. She would be scared herself and she would hide. And so we learned to hide. And then she would alter her personality. So we learned to alter our personality, or at least I did. My other siblings did their thing too. They learned how to survive in the world in their own way too, from their role models. Mine was my mom and my big sister. Now my big sister was very stable. I felt like she could protect me. I felt like if anyone in this house can uh, stand up for me, it would be her. My mom, however, found different ways to deal with it, which is altering her personality and uh, being sneaky and <laughs> being passive and passive-aggressive. And I, I learned all those methods from her. So who are you going to be to your child? How are you going to behave to your child? Because however you behave is typically how they end up behaving. Not always. This isn't a, a sweeping general statement that all children end up like us because some of them end up exactly the opposite of us. But we just have to be the healthiest role model we can because we're going to be in situations like this. We're going to have family members that lose it and we're going to be worried that our child's going to pick something up and we hope that they don't. But all we can do is just be the best person we can be for them. So that's my advice to you, Nikki, is that you need to be really resilient, really strong. I know your husband said that your child will develop resilience, but that resilience can happen and come from you. But it has to happen that way. Because if you're frightened or your husband overreacts to something or whatever, your child is going to pick it up and believe that that's how you're supposed to respond. I give a lot of credit to children because they learn so fast. That's also scary because if they see behavior that we're doing that isn't necessarily resourceful for them, then they do that behavior for the rest of their life until they figure out a way to change it if it's not working for them. And some people never figure it out. Some people never figure out a way to change behavior that they learned as a child. Even today at 46, every now and then there'll be an emotional trigger in me and I'll go, what is this about? I thought I worked through all this stuff. Have you ever felt that way? I thought I worked through all this stuff. I'm sick of all this personal growth stuff. I want to stop it now. Well, I've decided that, hey, bring it on. What else you got, universe? Just send those emotional triggers my way so I can resolve them. I don't always resolve them, but I do my best uh, to at least decrease their effectiveness in my life. And I also talk about it with my girlfriend and or anyone else that uh, I feel close to in my life. And I go, whoa, I feel this trigger, and I know it's my issue, but boy, I don't like it, and I have to figure it out. I mean, this is stuff I learned as a child. I'm sure that someone close to me, probably my mom, maybe my dad, maybe even my stepfather, that I learned how to respond to the world, and that created uh, a little dysfunction in me, or a big dysfunction. <laughs> so there's one more little thing I want to address with you, Nikki, and when we come back, I will do that. It's regarding what your husband's role is in all this. Be right back. We'll talk about it then. All right. The last thing I want to talk about is in Nikki's letter, and that is her husband's role in all of this. 
For him, all the same information applies, of course. Whatever he does, however he responds, will highly influence your son. So if he is calm through these situations, then he is a role model that may be very beneficial to your son. However, if he submits, and and I'm going to use this analogy, and I don't mean it derogatorily, if that's the word, uh, if he loses his spine, he loses his backbone, and he submits and becomes this fearful little child around his family, that may rub off on your son as well. Uh, it doesn't sound like he's that way, and I'm happy to hear that. It sounds like he's quite balanced. Very happy to hear that, especially considering his upbringing. And you know what? That'll probably be passed on to your son as well. That's a good thing. The stability of a child's caretakers has a massive role in what happens to that child and how that child develops. So my overall advice is to be as stable as you can. But here's one small piece of advice for your husband. My only advice for him is to remember that no matter what, no matter what the love he has for his family, the love he has for his brothers and sisters, his mom and dad, whoever's in that family, no matter how much he adores them and supports them, his son has to be a priority. And if he detects any danger, then be the man that steps in and protects that child. That's my only advice for him, and he can interpret it the way he wants to. He might say, what do you mean? I am being a man. Whatever he wants to say, he can call me a jerk because <laughs> I don't know him. But when the child is the priority, then it's not about pleasing the family when they're being toxic. It's about protecting your own family when they're in danger. Because that's really what it comes down to. Is And I know you're feeling that way, Nikki, is that your child is so important to you and you want to protect him from any of the danger, from any of the toxic stuff in, the, in life. But like I said before, your husband does have a slightly valid point that it could develop resilience in your son. Your son could grow up like I did, um, hating drugs and alcohol and not wanting anything to do with them because he's seen what it does to families. So I want the best for your family. It sounds like you're on a good path and you just have some toxic people in your life that you just need to be aware that your son will be exposed to them. And who are you going to be when that happens? Who are, how are you going to respond to situations so that your son learns how to respond from you? That is vital. I know you can do it. You already said you had it in you. I know you're going to be able to handle this all right. And it sounds like no matter how tumultuous the situation gets, that you'll know what to do when the time is right. You're already on a great path. And just know that your kid's going to be fine. How do I know this? Well, I don't. <laughs> but just know it. Just know that your responses in the world rub off on your child. So you're going to do your best. That's all you can ask for. And if you sense that you won't be able to handle a situation, then maybe it's time to call over your husband saying, I'm not going to be able to handle this and I want my child to have a strong role model. I mean, there you go. That might give him the compliment he needs to really <laughs> face the music and go, of course, I am a confident and strong role model. I will take care of things. That'll make him feel good. <laughs> I believe in you. You're going to do great. Thanks so much for writing and thanks so much for listening. I appreciate you. And that's where we're going to wrap it up for the show today. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
Let's go into the transition of our conclusion of the final part of the show, which is where I thank people and then give you my final words right after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. You know, we talked about toxic people today and toxic family members especially. Um, Sometimes we have toxic friends and we don't know how to get away from them. And it really is a perspective shift of instead of thinking, how do I get away from this person? You can think, what's best for me? Because when you have this little perspective shift, the way you think changes. You know, one of the things you can ask yourself is when you're in a situation that feels toxic, you can go, is this right for me? And if it's not right, if you say, no, this isn't right for me, then you take steps to make it right for you if you can. It doesn't always work out that way, but this little perspective shift, I don't know, it alters your neurons and changes your direction, your line of thinking. Because if you go, how do I get away from this person? Now you're in a different line of thinking. And where do your thoughts go from there? And those thoughts might lead to a fearful response, which could lead to what Nikki was saying today in her letter, a paralyzing place where she feels paralyzed and now afraid. But maybe if she asked herself, what's right for me in this situation? Or what's right for my kid right now? If you stay on that line of thought, Your whole perspective, your reality changes. The steps you take change because it's based on that foundation of logic or that foundation of thought. Plant a good foundation of thought so that you can take good action for yourself and for others around you. Think about what you're saying. If what you say a lot is, I can't stand it here, I gotta get out of here. There's a lot of either fear or upset or anger behind that. But if you come at it from a different approach and go, what's best for me in this situation? I mean, you can feel a positive uh, vibe when I ask that. What's best for me in this situation? And then you look at your, your situation, your environment, and go, wow, these toxic people are not best for me. All right, what am I going to do about it? The, the, this perspective is so slight. When you build a foundation of good thought over a fearful thought or an angry thought, it changes your direction. It has to. Like I said, I don't know if the neurons are going in different directions or there's a flow chart chain reaction of events that happen in your mind depending on what your foundation is. If your foundation is built on a fearful question, maybe you'll go down this path. And if your foundation of thought is based on something that you need to do for yourself, comes from a more confident place, more assertive place, then maybe this path will open up for you. I don't know. This might be something you want to experiment with. Instead of having the fearful thoughts or the angry thoughts, the upset, come at it from a place of what's best for me, what's right for me, what's right for my family, what's the best solution here. And if you can't come up with a solution, say, what can I do to make this better for me? It's just that slight nuance, that slight subtle shift in perspective in your approach that could mean massive change for you in a good way. Because as soon as we come from that fearful place or that angry place, 
then our thoughts shift to where they sometimes always go. We're, we're going in the direction that we normally go and maybe get the results that we always get. So think about that. Next time you're in a situation that you want to get out of, or you have people in your life that you don't want there, or you want to get out of their life, what's best for me? What's best for my family? What's best for everyone involved here? And you may come up with some different answers. Experiment with that and see where it takes you. And sometimes the only way to do that is to open your mind and step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, and this is why I know you can change your life, you are amazing. Amazing.